So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome, everybody, to Cash Flow to Freedom. I am so excited about today's interview because I've been talking to it to you guys about it. I told you guys just a few weeks ago, we had a lot of questions. Uh, we started getting into talking about like raising funds and uh, doing deals, and there was a lot of questions that I couldn't I couldn't really talk about and I needed to watch myself because of uh, the legal, you know, part of that. And so I said, "Listen, I'm going to bring on somebody that's an expert that they know about doing deals, they know about the legal side for you guys. That I think that's tremendous value, especially in today's world." Um and so that's why I got Charles today. You guys are going to love him. He is smart. He's, you know, excited. Uh, he's a great tall, guy. Dark and handsome. Tall, dark, and handsome. There tall, he is. Dark tall, dark, handsome. handsome. There's yes. all these other things. So you know what? With that, that was actually a friend. That wasn't even Charles talk saying that right now. That was somebody <laughs> else. So <laughs> with that, we'll bring it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about uh, getting deals and everything with you, Charles. But I, you know, I really kind of want to talk here first because you know we've we've talked and I, I know a little bit about you and I, I obviously you know your your podcast and, and what you're doing you're, you really presented yourself as an expert and you're bringing so much value in this side that for guys like me right I get the real estate side I that is like I know how to do real estate deals. But the legal side for me, that's, you know, I, I really am dependent on other people and I don't have a lot of good insight. So how did you get into this? And how did, how did, how, how did you as being, you know, from the legal side, get into real estate? Well, I got to tell you, it, you know, in the first several complexes I purchased, I bought them from lawyers. It seems like that was a natural progression. Sometimes people get intimidated by the process of buying a complex, you know, and being a lawyer and understanding all the, where the, you know, the, the minefields are and, you know, the protections, what you have to do. It's, it's no big deal for us. We know how to do it. So, but, you know, as you go in this business and as you get, uh, you know, older and wiser, as I tell my students, I said, you're only going to need me for the first two deals. After that, we're just friends. And that, that's the way it is because it really doesn't change. And once you understand the process, the process is the same all the time. It's just getting, you know, getting over, getting out of your comfort zone, uh, you know, because once you get out of your comfort zone, that's where things grow. Nothing grows in your comfort zone. But you, I got into this business because I was originally uh, owned an insurance uh, company and I hated it. No, and no, I, hold on. Wait, hold the phone here. You own yeah. an insurance. What kind of insurance company, or company do you own? Okay, well, it was, we were a benefits administration firm, a TPA. I oh, own don't, a benefits don't. brokerage firm. Oh my gosh! I know. I'm okay. sorry. I apologize. No, you know. Listen, let me. I, I know. As a matter of fact, I do remember reading that about your bio. When I read. And I was, okay, so okay, AJ, let, let's let's talk to Let's let me tell you what I say. I got. I've always wanted to be in the apartment building business. I've always wanted to own apartments. Yeah. But when I got out of college, I took the path of least resistance, which in my case was the family business, which was the insurance business, yep. which I'll tell you right now. Me too. And I, family business. I, I, I went into it too. Okay. okay. So, and we, I still own it. My dad passed away. We inherited it and it, it's running great. And my sister runs it and all that stuff. Like that. And I help her with it, but I swore I'd never get back in the insurance business again. I, say, I tell people, I said, listen, if you have a kid who's coming out of college 
and they come to you and say, dad, I figured out what I want to do in life. And you say, what do you want to do, son? And he says, I want to be in the insurance business. <laughs> there is something wrong with that child. There's something, it is an absolute fallback position. It's, it's not true. You know, yeah. Okay. You, you know what I'm talking oh, about. I know hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, so I owned, I owned a TPA, a, a, a benefits administration company, the most thankless worth me work. I backstab you benefit brokers. Yes. You're backstabbing. Yes. Oh my gosh. Worst business to be in. Yes. And, and, and uh, you know, you can it's do in the TPA. Oh, it is so cutthroat. You can, you can uh, be in the, um, in the, uh, the the TPA business, you can process ten thousand claims correctly, and you pay the owner's wife's claim wrong, and you get fired at renewal time. Yes, and exactly. It, it's just yeah. I, like I, don't like I always deal. say, and and I talked to when we got started in real estate, exactly because you you guys are literally listening to this, the the two exact same people. One's just a whole lot smarter than the other, and that's why he's on and the better podcast. looking and, and much, much better, better looking. looking. How and, many times do I got to keep telling myself that? <laughs> So, but yes, we, you know, if that revenue, you don't own it, it can go away. So like our clients and the TPA, everything like that, it, it doesn't matter if it's your fault or nothing. And your business can be decimated. Yeah. And you're just totally out of your control. Yep. Yep. More, and, and so finally I was, I was putting myself in an early grade and I said, I got to get out of this. And my wife says, what do you want to do? I said, I've always wanted to own apartments. And she said, let's do it. So we sold the business, took the money that we made there and went out and started buying property. And this was, this was back in about 2006. And so, you know, we obviously had a couple of good years and then it hit the fan. And, uh, you know, I love these gurus out there teaching right now. And, and they're telling you like, like there's one guy and I keep, I keep going back to this comment because I, when one of my students told me that this guy said this, I just rolled my eyes. He said, and that the, the guru's comment was you can overpay for multifamily property because the prices just keep going up. I, I, we're hearing this in self-storage. We're hearing this. Uh, I, it's incredible to me that first of all, people listen to this. It's like, this, yeah. we, we, we all just went through this. Although a lot of the gurus yeah. never did. They never went through exactly. it. Exactly. Because some of them are only 12 years old. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. They weren't in the game when that happened. Yeah. And you've got to work with somebody that's, that's been through the cycle. Yes. And that's the term we use. Has yep. he been through the cycle? Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, so, you know, we took our lashes during that time, kept some properties, lost some properties. And, uh, you know, at the time, um, you know, I was an attorney and, uh, sold the insurance business kind of, you know, doing what we do now. And, and I got some phone calls from friends of mine, uh, who were going through the problems and they were losing their properties. And they asked me if I could get involved and do something to, um, help them. And, you know, by that stage of the game, you know, my job as an attorney is reactionary. It's, I, you know, I, I couldn't really help them. All I could do is hold their hand through the process as they lost their property. But one thing I kept asking was like, why did you buy this property in the first place? Oh, it's great. You know, uh, we're going to do this and we're going to, uh, you know, uh, turn it into uh, uh, tenant paid utilities and we're going to, you know, do, uh, you know, drive the NOI. You know, they were coming up with all the buzzwords that you get from these gurus. But, but, in practice, it was a bad property. They never should have gotten into the deal. And so that's when I realized I'm better off helping people before 
they get into the problems before so that, that it doesn't happen to them. And that's when I started the Multifamily Investing Academy. And that's when I started coaching and mentoring and training these people. And I, I tell people, I'm a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. You're going to hire a lawyer. But I run my business like it's a law firm. And I, I take care of all of my clients. They have direct access to me. And and But when it comes down to you know my contracts, we're going to use my contracts. But my contracts are not valid in all 50 states. You're going to need local counsel to be able to go through that contract and make sure that it qualifies. So, but you know, that was the other thing is when I was buying my properties and I had, you know, local counsel, these guys were great. I had great attorneys. They, they could draft contracts beautifully. They could uh, close escrow. They could, you know, uh, handle a title, but they couldn't tell me if it was a good deal or not because they didn't know multifamily. And that's the difference that I bring to the equation. So, yeah. yeah, that's, you know, and two, when, when you get in and which, which I really want to dive into more, uh, more and ask you, you questions on yours, because, you know, real estate has a lot of, a lot of benefits, right. And obviously and tax and all that kind of stuff. And if done right in the right way, um, with a long-term view, it's the greatest way to build wealth for any normal human being on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and when I think a lot of people, when they get into it, once again, gurus or other things, there's this idea that it is, it's either so passive or it's just, you just buy it and it does its thing, which is not true. Um, no. But there's no also exit plan ever because that's not how it works. It always makes money. There's no contingencies. There's no um, looking at the legalities and the contracts with the banks because it doesn't matter. And I see this in deals that we buy when we're looking over, first of all, why did you get into this mess with your partners, with the bank? Who signed these things? And the idea was I was just trying to get property and the details went by the wayside. And that's what caught them. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you're running so fast to add property that you don't build the business. And the only way you're going to, and I teach people how to own a thousand apartments in five years. You're not going to do that with one transaction. And the only way you're going to get to that is to build up systems. And that's what a business is. It's just a series of systems to run, uh, to generate profit. And this, in this business, I tell them you start out with 20. And if you start out and do 20 units in your first year, you can get to 1,000 units in five years. And it's very simple, very simple formula. But the reason why you start out slow is you want to build those systems that, so that you don't get burned. I mean, I can tell you right now, I, I've, I, I've got uh, about to represent a client uh, um, and who's, you would listen to his story and you would think the guy hung the moon and he's doing great. And his partners are out there buying stuff. Behind the scenes, they are imploding because they didn't understand what business they were getting into. They thought all they had to do was go out and raise money and buy property and everything else would take care of itself. I, that's really the thing that we try to teach is, is you got to build that business. You got to do it the right way. But other people are just out there teaching you how to buy, how to buy, how to buy. And, you know, these people, I feel badly for them because I, I know that I know the mistakes that they're making because I made them also. I mean, you think about it. I came from a, a business side, a business building side. I had I had 35 employees working for me. I had a whole infrastructure. You need that in order to run a, a, a large multifamily portfolio. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's a, let me tell you something. Multifamily is the greatest business to be in. And you, I mean, you and I, you and I have been in some of the worst businesses. And but the, the way you make money in multifamily is like none other, no other. 
So that's the thing about uh, about our business I absolutely love. Well, and two, you know, you mentioned this a lot and it's funny because, you know, it, it just looks like I get you, right? Because we're so, yeah. you know, we come from the same background oh, where, yeah. where we went through and it was, we we focused on building. We went through and looked at all these people that owned all of these assets and we're like, this is amazing because all these people own these real estate assets and they're actually businesses and they're doing a terrible job running the business. So we can buy it and we'll work on the business side and let the real estate side do what it does, but we'll create policies, procedures, we'll work on efficiencies, revenue management, we'll build out certain types of contracts. And right. So we focused on the side that most people weren't looking at. They were just trying to buy properties, right? It's just buy properties where we focused on the infrastructure and that, that we could build off of. So we kind of put the cart before the horse where we spent a lot of time focusing on infrastructure to be able to scale up from there, which paid off dramatically as we started to build and acquire assets, you know, in multiple States, everywhere else. And we were acquiring from people that just simply bought a real estate asset and they didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, exactly. What we call those people, AJ, we call those people uh, California investors. <laughs> yes, that's about fifty percent of my portfolio who I bought it from. So that's exactly, correct. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you go down to Texas, and, and it's like uh, you know the reason why the underwriting rules change in multifamily uh, uh, mortgages is because you know like you need a, a solid KP, somebody who's got uh, you know deep pockets, uh, 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 balance sheet, cash flow. And, and experience. And it's that last part, that experience requirement that all the California investors were lacking. They had everything else. And when the, when the market turned, these guys just said, oh, hey, this isn't supposed to happen. Drop the keys on the desk of the bank and they walk away. And Fannie and Freddie got into trouble. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, you, you, got, you have to understand that you're getting into, a, you're building a business and that's what you're going to leave your kids. All right, I tell a story about John Dobbins and Lenny Dobbins. Lenny Dobbins was a New York Life agent for 57 years. 57 years. John Dobbins, his family owned an egg farm. He sold the egg farm after he read a book on how to turn $1,000 into a million in real estate in your spare time. He became a multimillionaire from real estate. Lenny Dobbins died, and his three kids now get a check every single month from New York Life based upon his block of business. John Dobbins died and his kids were left all that property and they're multimillionaires. Lenny Dobbins' kid got a check last month for $56, okay? After 57 years with New York Life, that's what he gets from that company, 56 bucks. John Dobbins leaves his kids millions. And Lenny Lenny Dobbins was my father. And John Dobbins was a was a, a, a distant cousin of my father's, right here in Nashville, New Hampshire, and and, uh, and so you know that's I know I know his his son Michael Dobbins. He's out there running his property and he's living a wonderful life. Got a beautiful house up in Rye uh, Rye Beach, uh, New Hampshire, and he's done well because his father took the time and and made the offers 40, 50 years ago, back when it was when he didn't know what he was doing. But he, he he got out of his comfort zone. Yeah, it's it, when you add time into real estate, it, there's just no even. It's, I, I mean, it, it it blows like like I like 
to tell people, right? We've, we've been doing this for a long time, over, we started in early 2000s. And uh, when we started buying some properties, we really ramped up, obviously, after 2000 and eight, nine, we started buying a lot, but we'd been in the game. We'd, we'd learned we stopped buying at um, right about 2005, six, we were, uh, 2005, we stopped buying because we couldn't get any good deals and then started back up. And during the time it was good, right? It was like, Hey, yeah, we're building something on, we're, you know, doing something. But it, when you go a decade, it's mind blowing. Like I wouldn't have thought of the force it's just, it's so hard for us to grasp in 10 year increments, what can happen by doing things in year one and two. And we, we want to see results so immediately and we want to, we want to have it now And it. That just destroys everything. So take a look at multifamily. Now, um, the way I, I teach it, you know, I don't own a thousand apartments in five years. I say, just buy 20 in the first year. I mean, two tens, ten twos, five fours, four fives. I don't care, but get twenty units, and then you'll you'll. That's the basis. Now, a lot of people, these guys say, "Hey, go big or go home," or like you know, I should have done it bigger uh, years ago. Yeah, okay, fine. Let me just tell you about you know the the tortoise and the hare. You do twenty in the first first year, and then the second year you double what you own and you don't sell anything. So in the second year, you've got sixty units. And then the third year, now you've got 180 and then, and then, uh, 540. And then by the, by the fourth year, a uh, fifth year, you've got over a thousand, thousand units. And the thing is by the third year, when you become your own property management company, when you're the one managing all those properties, just like every successful real estate uh, investor, I know when you are collecting that money and putting it in your pocket by the third year, you have enough critical mass. You're going to live large. You're going to have an income coming in, get almost guaranteed. You take your 5%, 10% right off the top of every dollar of rent, and, and that's your income. That's going to pay for your mortgage. That's going to pay for your kids' tuitions. That's going to pay for your lifestyle. And everything else is gravy. The profit from the properties, the appreciation, the mortgage pay down, if you have any acquisition fees, that makes you the assets the, the property management fee makes you the income. And that's, you know, that there's no other business like that. You try to go do a subway franchise. How many ways do you get paid in a subway franchise? One, you got to sell a sub at a profit. That's it. That's the only way you're making money. Multifamily, you got five ways to make money. And so that's the thing. And then, you know, you talk about the power of the cap rate and the most powerful thing, that cap rate. If, you know, and this is the thing, and I teach this as well, but something that the most uh, people coming into this business don't quite understand is that a four cap property is more valuable than a 10 cap property. Okay. And they all think, Oh no, the 10 must be more valuable. No, no, no. The four cap, the lower the cap rate, the more valuable the property is. And here's why. If you increase the net operating income on a multifamily property, the NOI, meaning, you know, if you increase the rents by a dollar or you reduce the expenses by a dollar. If an additional dollar drops to your bottom line and you own a four cap property, that means that your net worth has just increased by $25. Now you do that a hundred bucks per, per unit over a uh, you know, hundred units. That's how millionaires are made in this business. If you do it if, on a 10 cap property, you made, I think, I think the number is $12. Your net worth has gone up by $12 by increasing your NOI by $1. No other industry can increase its value that quickly and that powerfully than multifamily because of the power of the cap rate. No, it's 
exactly true. You know, um, it, and this brings to, you know, a question that, um, I haven't talked about for, for me starting out, we started out small and we, we learned and failed on our own and started going together yeah. and, and we build, and then we gain momentum and we have our whole management company, everything, all the stuff you're yeah. talking about, right. Um, yeah. it's, it's the path. And now we're saying, okay, you know, we, we started a little differently where, um, we didn't syndicate or anything else like that. And now we're moving into where actually we want to buy more properties, make our money go farther. We want to bring in capital. Um, how do you suggest and tell people to start out? And what are the benefits and, uh, and the cons of syndication? And uh, what what do you see? What what do you see there? Talk about talk about the difference. Okay. All right. So just to let you know, um, right now I'm I'm in the in the process of kind of doing a virtual merger with another law firm that everybody in, in this business understands. And so we are going to essentially be offering our services where you come in, you get my training and you get the securities work all part of the whole package, uh, which is, is incredibly unique in the marketplace. I'm not ready to roll it out just yet, but it's coming. But I have, uh, you know, 150 students in my, in my program and I have a, I did a Monday night call uh, with two of my students and I call that call the tale of the two investors. And these guys are both, I mean, one guy has 6,000 units. He started with me with zero and I took him through his first property and he's been with me for the last, you know, uh, almost 10 years now. He's got uh, over 6,000 units. I've got another student that started me with nine units and now he's got about a hundred units. Okay. Both of them are multimillionaires. And one of them does it through syndication. The other one does it through strictly debt. And here's what I mean. One guy comes along, the, the, the one who does it through debt, he goes and he finds a deal. And usually at this stage of the game, the banks bring him the, the deals. And they're usually real value adds. And he knows his money. He knows his business down to the penny. He knows exactly what it's going to cost to rehab a unit. He knows what it's going to cost to, uh, to what re revenue he's going to generate. He knows what the expenses are going to be when he's done. So he knows what each property is worth as soon as he looks at it. And so, you know, he, when you come to a due diligence process, he doesn't really need it. He's going to, he knows he's going to rehab each one of the units. He knows he's going to get in there. So he knows how, what, what he has to do. Then he goes out. And he borrows the down payment from friends. Okay, so he doesn't issue a security. He doesn't let these people become part of his company. He just borrows money from them, just like a bank. And he it gives, you know, that that borrowing of that down payment. And like it's like, you know, it's um here, you know, you hear the expression, you know, have the seller carry uh, the paper or what have you. It's essentially the same thing, except these are third parties and their their security interest is behind the bank and they go out there and, and lend him the money. So he goes out there, does the full rehab on the property, loads it back up with good tenants, good quality paying tenants, refinances the property because now he's got a great performing asset and he just pays off that debt, pays off that, that, uh, that debt lender and he uses that guy again the next time. Now that guy didn't syndicate. He never did anything that ran afoul of the SEC. And now he is the sole owner of that property. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. So that's the tale of one investor. Now the other investor 
has gone out there and raises money with friends and family. He's now getting such a, a, a with 6,000 units, he can now go out there and, and just tap anybody in their shoulder. And he instantly has all the money he needs to get, to get a deal done. And let me tell you some folks, that's where you will be if you stay at in this business. And so they, um, so he's, he's gone out there and he taps some people's shoulders and then he and his partner bring in and raise the private money. So now they run the show. They are the syndicators. They are, depending upon how the operating agreement is drafted, they are the class A membership. They make all the decisions. The class B membership are the passive investors, the silent partners, the people who are actually buying equity in the deal. And they, some of them get a preferred return. Some of them just share, uh, share and share alike in the, in the, um, um, in the ownership. Uh, the 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 membership interest of the ownership. What he does, what this student does, is after five to seven years, when you're coming to the end of that exit strategy, exit the the exit strategy period, when you're ready to to close out, sell a property, refinance, he has written into his operating agreements so that everybody knows going in that they can refinance, pay off all of the invest equity investors, and now these two guys own the property themselves. So that's another way that you can do it by using other people's money. There's so many different ways to skin the cat. And I'm telling you something. I mean, one of the things that I'm an expert at is striking the deal and figuring out how you can make the numbers work and how you can, you know, different ways that you can, you can uh, provide some form of benefit to an investor in order to get them to say yes to the deal. And remember, that's this whole business. And you'll, you'll appreciate this being an insurance business. And this is why, you know, you probably why you and I have done so well is because we understand that above everything else, this real estate business is a sales and marketing business. You got to prospect every day. You got to make offers. You, when you're making of an offer is you're asking somebody to buy. You asking somebody to buy insurance, asking somebody to buy your offer. If you don't, the first sale in our business is made when some of the seller accepts an offer. That's the first sale. And now we're in business. But until that happens, you're just an insurance agent looking for your first sale. Yes. No, it's it's yeah. so true. And I tell people all the time, they, they have all these questions, everything else like that. I'm like, first get a deal. Then you can answer all the questions. And I'm like, if you could solve that one problem. You can solve all the others, but I'm oh. like, you can't solve the others without the deal. That just doesn't make sense. But, and also let me just extrapolate on that. What you have to understand is that every seller, the reason why they're selling every seller, I don't care what, what, what position they all have a problem. And it's your job as a salesperson to figure out what that problem is and then solve it for them in the form of an offer. Yep. It, and, and that's the and two, this is so, oh man, man, we've just been talking so much about this subject lately. <laughs> it's so good. You're getting me excited because when you look at um, all the all the deals I've ever purchased have been off market via brokers that say, I got a deal. They haven't listed anything like that. We buy it. Nobody even knows. Or they're deals that we have done the work, uh, made the relationships, the connections, um, and and got the deals done on our own because we went out and we solved problems of the owners, right? And we're working with like, well, let's, let's work through this. Let's you figure this out. Right. So we're, we're prospecting. Providing, exactly. We're prospecting and yeah. we're providing solutions. And when we look at this, you know, you look at the deals and people are like, Oh, I can't find any deals. And I'm like, well, where are you looking? And I'm like, you know, Zillow or something like that. I'm like, what? Well, that's not where deals are that, you know, retail investors get the end it's like buying a stock, right? 
It's, you know, buying a house on the market. It's, you're the end. You're the last one down the chain. That's a retail investor. I'm like, do a little work and get up the food chain. The whole first part of my training is how to find deals when no one else is looking. And every one of my students, so anyone that follows me knows what I'm about to say. LoopNet is where deals go to die. So if you think you're going to find a deal on LoopNet, because, you know, LoopNet must know when these gurus have a boot camp because everybody registers on LoopNet and they think, oh, good, I'm going to find my deals there. LoopNet is where deals go to die. Listen, I mean, you talked about these brokers bringing you these offers. The reason why they bring you these offers, is these deals, is because they know you can perform. And they know, look, hey, if I, hey, why work hard if I can just give it to AJ? And AJ just closes on it. That's what happens in brokers' offices when they get a good deal. They keep it in house. They're not going to plaster it on LoopNet. They keep it in house. Well, and they give it to the when when you talk to the sellers and people are like sellers, if, if it goes onto the market and ask the broker why are they putting it on the market, they're trying to get the most highest price that they can ever get. And I'm like, exactly. well, that's not how I buy. So there's no reason to even have that discussion. You're just looking for yeah. someone that will pay unreasonable amounts. And lots of times, those are the those are the properties that never even get bought because the sellers tells the broker this. Listen, if you could sell my two million dollar property for three million dollars. I'll let you sell it. And the broker's like, well, let's try. Let's go out there and see. And they put it up to list. Well, the reason why they're okay selling it at the $3 million is because they know that's an unreasonable price. Nobody should pay that. And I can't tell you how much that happens. And so brokers... It, they don't make money by holding properties. They don't make money by taking bids, putting it under contract with hundreds and hundreds of people. They make money by selling that seller's property and they want to sell it. Okay, AJ, true confessions, true confessions here, just between us girls. You got it. Okay, uh, Marcus Millichap, obviously one of the, like the top retail brokers. They, everything that they sell is grossly overpriced. You would never, you'd never buy anything from Marcus Millichap. I, t- I sold two of my complexes through Marcus and Billy Chap. Do you know why? She wanted the highest price, an unreasonable price. <laughs> and I knew I would get it. I knew I would get it, and I did. And Wait, I did. that's exactly what we tell brokers. We say, listen, I got to tell you, I'm not buying anything at this price, but I'm going to come to you when I want to sell. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's... Exactly. It, it's, you know, you do more work. Get up the food chain. Exactly. You got to, listen, you know, do a... Like, okay, you're in, uh, let's, let's pick a town, Baltimore. Go do a search on Google for multifamily for sale, Baltimore. And then go to the fifth page of Google. That's, nobody goes there. That's where you find these precious nuggets that don't exist. You didn't even know they existed. And I teach about 25 different sites that nobody knows about. And I show you how to find them because you've got to get your activity up. Remember, we're in sales. Yeah, it's a numbers, it's a numbers game. game. It's just a numbers game. Exactly. Yep. I didn't. I mean, you, you and I said it at virtually the exact yeah. same time. It's a numbers game. It is, and we, it's true. We, we, it's just you look at the math. Out of certain many deals, I got to. You know, we have it in our our way. We we do it as we have a funnel. So we have criteria of marketing, right? And then you go down, and basically the funnel is an elimination funnel to get your best properties right down. 
And then after you get to a core, the ones you want to buy in whatever regional market is, then it's about finding those sellers. And I know that every seller that I talk to, first of all, there's a percentage, a huge percentage that's never going to want to sell. So I'm trying to find that small percentage that will, and they say, I don't want to sell because I don't want my, or go on the market because I don't want my employees to know, because if I put it up on the market, they may leave me. Great. They'll never even know. We'll get it sold and then I'll take ownership and then we'll tell them. And, or, you know, you find out things like that and then you get those people to sell it to you. But I know I got to find that one. I got to look at, I don't know, a a hundred or more. And so it's, it's just math. Yeah. Okay. So, so we use a service called Enodo, E-N-O-D-O. Are you familiar with it? Okay. So you should check it out. It's in the websites an E-N-O-D-O-I-N-C. Dot com, Anodo Inc. And they were just purchased by uh, Walker Dunlop. And Mark Rutskin, uh, he, I've had him on my podcast. He's the guy that invented Anodo. It's a phenomenal website. It's where uh, we can find out all the inner numbers on all the multifamily de- deals around the country. And I show my students, when we, the first phone conversation I have with, with one of my students, when we're trying to figure out exactly what market they're looking for, is we need to determine, uh, are there enough gray dots and and because all it takes is one gray dot and this is how i talk and the students don't understand what i mean so they say okay let's take a look you want to you want to buy in in um uh, greenville south carolina okay let's plug in greenville in an odo and it shows a map of, of greenville south carolina and it shows all the multifamily properties in in Greenville, and they are all showing up as gray, gray dots. And as I tell my students, I said, all it takes is for one gray dot to say yes, and you're in business. Now, here's here's a big difference from a sales and prospecting standpoint of, of for, between multifamily and the insurance business. The uh, multifamily uh, business is a, once you determine that you are going to work in this one particular marketplace. Now, the thing is, it may be different for self-storage, but you know, you really need to understand the marketplace that you're in and, and stay in one market um, and become an expert in that particular market. Once you identify that market, now you have just capped off the, the total number of prospects you will ever have. That's it. And your job over the next 12 months is to find every one of those gray dots and every single month ask them to buy. And see, this is something that's very similar to insurance is that in order to successfully do that, you're going to set up a system, a, a direct mail marketing prospecting system that goes out every single month. And I love these guys who say, I, I, I mailed to these people, I got a lousy response. Well, how many times you mailed to them? Well, I just did it once. No, 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 no. no that doesn't you, work. Every single month, you've got to ask these people because this month, everything's fine. Six months from now, uh, the, what, my partner died and now you know we have to sell. Who are they going to call? The guy that's been sending in letters for the last 12, 12 months. Yeah, yeah. So, this is, you know, when we look at how we find properties and vet properties and everything, we, we, we're, we're building out a whole entire system. I have salespeople. Then they are, they're salespeople. They're selling, yeah. they're calling up, they're trying to find deals for us. We focus on data. We build this whole funnel out, right? Because we know that if, it, it, although it's simple math, right? We know that if I put in a little more work on finding the property instead of taking a property, just a little more even, it'll result mm-hmm. in millions more 
on my acquisition side. So yeah. it's, it's, the effort is minuscule to the reward. I'm, and we'll go out and do things. The ones that we were buying off market and everything, people are like, how'd you find the deals? And I'm like, I took, we took Tom out to dinner. You know, Tom liked yeah. us and he sold us his property. Walked in, said, I want to buy your facility. And the guy said, I'm not, you know, and we said, what's your number? And he said, yep, 4 million. I said, if we shake on it now, will you sell it? He said, you got a deal. Shook on it, closed in two months. It was working with those one-on-one, finding out their needs, their wants, um, yeah. and, and meeting them. It's it's getting out there. It's not it's yeah. not looking at LoopNet. It's not online. Yeah. It's text, emails, calls, lunches, whatever you got to do. Okay. Now, my students listening to this podcast will know exactly the next mantra that I'm going to say to you right now, and that is, if you're not making offers, this is nothing more than a very expensive hobby. Because you got, I mean, who, who, who knows you're even here? Yeah. Who knows you're even in this business? Yep. Nobody knows. You've got to, you know, get, push yourself out of the nest, fall flat on your face. What, what do get people think we're doing sitting on a podcast right now? Yeah. I mean, really, what do you think? You do? I want people to know who I am. I want to bring value to them. Yes. So when they exactly. say, I found this awesome storage deal in wherever I could never do it, but yeah. I listen to a guy on my phone and he knows what he's doing, right? I have three under contract because listeners of the podcast reached out to me and said, I got this deal. And I said, great, let's do it. Three currently. I, I get clients all the time from my podcast yeah. and, and, and you know, they, by the time they come to me to be on my program, they know, they know me. They, I mean, they, you know, it's just like you. Yeah. I mean, we are who we are. This is us. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, they go to all my information. I give it all out for free. I'm like, listen, everything you could ever want to know about investing, entrepreneurship stuff. That's me putting out there because I know that because I'll become knowledgeable, they'll feel comfort with me and everything. If there's an opportunity, I'm going to get to take a look at those opportunities. doesn't mean I have any guarantee, but it means that I'm putting myself in a position. So like, if you ever heard the analogy of the bear, I love it mainly because I love bears. I live in Idaho. We have grizzlies, and <laughs> but don't be a fisherman sitting on the side of the bank, throwing a troll, hoping that something swims by, be the bear, sit in the middle of the waterfall on the river and just let the fish jump into your mouth. But you got to get yeah. out there. You got to get in the middle of the river and yeah. then go where the fish are going. And I love then they'll jump into your mouth. Just look, look up Teddy Roosevelt's, uh, Teddy Ro- Roosevelt's favorite quote about the man in the man in the, in the arena. You got to be the quote. man in the arena. Yep. yep. Now tell me this, yep. let's get back to a little of the syndication. I don't want to take your whole night up, but I, I do yeah. want to hit this real quick. Syndication is a really important aspect. Um, no matter how you're doing it. When I say syndication, I just mean other people's money, not banking money. That's we're just going to keep it simple for right now for these terms, because we talk about using other people's capital in the form of, um, like hard money loans, right. And then add it onto the bank to get your, uh, your pay or a, eh, maybe not hired money loans, not the right word, or bringing in people to participate in the equity portion. So to keep this simple, everybody, the equity portion of a deal is what you put into it. So if you have a $5 million deal and you're putting one and a half million dollars down, the one and a half million dollars would be the equity. So that down payment, bringing people in, what do you need to know before you just go run out? Like a lot of people, oh, I got this great property. I'm going to go get Bob, Steve, and I'm going to make a few phone calls. I'm going to have everybody give me $150,000 and we're buying this next week. What is it that simple or is it like, 
Whoa, oh, hold no, the no, phone. No, no, it, it, listen, it can be. Once you understand all the pieces and all the legalities of it and you know how to do it right, you this will be a system that you'll, you'll be able to tap into all the time. But first off, let me just get, uh, let me throw out a couple of terms so everybody understands. $5 million property. The question that, you know, all the big Wall Street guys to ask is, you know, what's your capital stack? Yes. You're like, oh, yes. wow, that, that sounds, I don't know, geez, I, that's, that's, yeah, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> that means, how, how are you going to get your 5 million bucks? How are you going to go from zero to 100% of that $5 million loan? Okay, now that you get throw out a number, 75%. So 75%, sounds to me, you're going to go to a bank and get that. You're going to get that in the form of debt. So right away, out of your capital stack, 75% of it is already taken care of in the form of debt. Now you've got to fill the capital stack with the other 25%. Now you could do it in a couple of different ways. You could do it with additional debt. Like that first and that first uh, investor, what happens in that case with debt, the, the issue with debt is it's expensive. Yes. Because you've got to make a payment every single month. Off, and if you don't make that- Off that full payment, amount. It's not off profit. It's off that whatever you borrowed. Right. Exactly. I mean, regardless of whether there's a profit, you got to yes. pay that back. And if you don't, those people have what are called foreclosure rights and they can come in and take your property back and you lose it. So the problem is you never want to saddle your, your, your business with too much debt. Yes. Too much debt will, will wipe out a business. I mean, cash, it, once a, a business is out of cash, it's out of business. And so if you put, saddle your business with too much debt, like a hundred percent of your capital stack is debt. That's a problem. Okay. So what happens is instead of using debt, you just I'm going to go out and get money from friends and family. Don't say you're going to borrow money. You're going to bring them in as investors into your property and you're going to give them something in return. And what you're going to give them is what is called a security. All right. So the security is a one word that defines so many different types of instruments. So you need to know what exactly what type of instrument. And this is going to come right back full circle to answer your question. You've got to figure out exactly what type of instrument you can use to make that deal happen. And the first thing you've got to verify is how much of a return can this property, this business expect to make? And then how much of that return will I share with my investors, with my friends? So now we've got to decide what we're going to do with this, with this equity portion of the stack. And let's say, okay, we, this property can generate 12% cash on cash return. Okay, how much of that 12% do we need to give to our investors to make the deal work? This answers your question about going to your friends and family and stuff before you even talk to them about a deal, you've got to talk to them about what type of returns do they need to get in order for them to say yes. So if they come back and they say, uh, well, yeah, because think about it. If you got a 25-year-old kid who's looking to invest with you, he's got different investment requirements yes. than grandma. Uh -huh. And so grandma doesn't want to hear about a 15% cash on cash return. She's going to run away from that. So you got to think as a, remember that this is your next sale. First sale was to, the, to the, getting the owner to say yes to your offer. The next sale is to your other customer, which are your investors. And you've got to figure out what type of product are they going to want to see in order to, for them to, to buy and get involved in. So listen, 
This is nothing more than a sales and marketing business. Every time you turn around, your tenants are customers. Your investors are customers. The seller is a customer. You've got to always be out there selling to all these different parties. And when you're successful at it, you will make millions. Yes. No, exactly. And, you know, too, for the individual, when you're, so one of the things that the reasons why we started to look down this road, which in the, it was interesting because we didn't start out that way, which is very different, right? Most people need the, they need the money to get the equity start out. For me, it became, I wanted to scale more. So I wanted to use my dollars across a lot of properties and build it up. But two, it also became that, listen, we're really good at what we do. Like, you know, we've got this thing down. We built a machine over the last, you know, you know, 12, 15 years here. And so for us, like we can go take a property, we can come equity partners, but two, then the cash flows of the property have to pay us to do what we do. Yeah. So we're also getting paid for being good at what we do because we are, we're a business now, right? But if I'm alone, I don't get any extra benefit of doing it. It just fills up with expenses. And I start to look at it and I go, listen, if I can provide these exceptional returns, everything, and I can make my money do more, that all of a sudden builds my returns way, way more. So it, it makes a lot of sense in that, you know, to do it. Although, you know, it's, it, it's a big leap and we got to, you got to be able to go do it right. Because if, if you don't, then that's a whole nother problem. Then you have investors mad at you and everything else. Yeah. Um, and I'm yeah. in a position where I can basically say you have no rights at all, right? It's a piggyback. So if you come invest with me, we're allowing you to invest, but it's, but some people, when they go, it's more of a partnership. And I, that's my question here is what if people say, I don't want to be a limited partner because this is the first deal you've ever done. So instead I'll put money in this, but I got to be a partner. I'm not, because I don't know, you may screw this up and I may want to step in and take care of it, which I would never let anybody do for me because I'm like, well, there's no way you know as much about this asset class as we do. But for most people getting started, it may be harder to get a limited partner that says, listen, I have no say, no control, no rights, um, and you've never done this before. Do you suggest doing just regular partnerships? And how is that different from doing like a general partnership with limited liability partners? Okay. All right, man. This is a whole entire semester <laughs> in law school. I mean, you're giving me the eyebrows. I like, yeah. told you. Holy I was going to ask you some, some hard questions. But all right, I mean, all right. Let me go through it. Let right. me walk you through it. Let me back up, and I'm going to correct something you said about the piggyback comment. Like, hey, you have no rights. You're just piggybacking but on me. Not Wrong. no rights. but Right. Because yes. even by statute, even yes. by statutes, they can all kick member- you out. Exactly. They're a fiduciary. You have a, they have, you have a fiduciary responsibility yes. to your people. And if you breach that fiduciary responsibility, you can be charged with, you know, yep. and, and, and thrown and out. And out. And that's the thing. Yep. Right. And the thing is that people say, oh, well, my operating agreement doesn't say that. I bet you your operating agreement says that it follows and complies with the, with the, whatever state you're in, insert yep. state name here operating a, a, um, a limited liability company operating uh, statutes, whatever it's called, act, the act. And it's typically called the act. So so in that regard, you've got to always look out for your investors. That's a good thing. It's, and everybody it's, like, it's like non-recourse loans, right? It's non-recourse up to a point. Um, right. So it's, it's the same. That's yes, how that's I look true. at okay. investors. They can vote you out. Yeah. That's, a good, that's a good analogy. It, it is. I mean, you can non-recourse, hey, I screwed up. Sorry, but I, didn't, I did no wrong. Uh, we all shake hands and part friends. 
as opposed to, hey, you stole money and you you let the property dwindle down to nothing. Uh, you we're know, taking you, your house. You, we're taking your house because you you are, you know, that non-recourse is now partially non-recourse. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, so you have to understand that also, that's a great question. You have to understand how are you going to set up the structure based upon what your investors are looking for. Remember, it all comes down to my, my question. What is the flavor of your investors' money? And once you understand that, then you can set and structure the deal the way you want. Now, the, one of the things is here we are talking about securities. And when you're dealing with securities, you're dealing with the SEC. And I've been sued by the SEC because of something a partner did that I didn't even know he was doing. And it was the most miserable experience of my life. It cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars, dragged my name through the mud. And I, I will never go through that again. And I, I protect my students to make sure that they don't go through the same thing. How? All right. Oh, I make sure I look over their shoulder every step of the way. And, and I, t I teach them on my calls, on, on all of my, my training videos. I show them examples and give you a perfect example um, is I had uh, there, there's one of these gurus. There's several of these gurus that are out there doing things illegally. Yes. And, and they're trying to say, they're trying to, yeah, blatantly. it's like, oh, well, we're not. No, we're not doing it that way. We're doing it this way. So therefore, we're not violating the law. Oh, really? Tell it to the SEC, because those guys have no, no, no creative thought whatsoever. No. And, and, and here's, here's the, the thing that I see a lot of these people doing, which is going to, and I'll tell you exactly how the SEC can work, because they tried to do it to me. These guys use what they call, or what we all call in the industry, capital raisers. So let's say, AJ, you need to raise $5 million to do a deal. Oh, geez, you, you're all out. Of, you're tapped out of yeah. friends and family. You know, you got to get out there. Yeah. So you go to a group of people and they say, hey, if you raise money for me, I'll give you a 3% commission on that. And and first off, the, the, the rule is that you cannot raise any money such that it is tied to the your 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 compensation structure is tied to the amount of money that you raised. So right away, this 3% concept is in violation of, of the rule. And the way they try to get around is that, oh, no, no, we're going to make you a member of our company. We're going to make you a member of the LLC. And you'll get a percentage interest of the LLC if you go out and raise that money. Well, what the SEC will step in and say, how much compensation, how much of that membership interest did, did they get? And how much do they raise and compare it to the other people in the business? So essentially, you're now turning that cash into a, into a membership interest and doing the exact same thing you did before that was was in clear violation of the law. And the other thing is too, they try to couch it by saying, oh, well, you're a member of the, of the LLC and you're you're a part of the general partnership. You're part of the, of the, not the GP, but the syndication side. And therefore, you know, you're going to work with us. And you're going to be a partner with us in the syndication. But these guys don't do anything. And the syndicator has no intention of letting this guy run the show. So it's all, it's all it's smoke and mirror. It's, it is. It's a, it's it's illegal. They're earning commissions. I mean, you know, you know, it, it's uh, you know, selling selling securities without a license. Uh, if you're not a member of the NASD, you are in in big trouble, and the SEC is going to come down hard on you. And I'm we've already seen it start to happen with some of these gurus out there now, and it, it's a house of cards. It's going to blow up. So so, how so, you, so if you're raising those funds, um, 
you know, and that's a whole nother getting people that aggregate. Yeah, capital. But if is. you're doing like get my... friends and family, but they don't want to be limited partners, could you explain the difference? Say, so like we look out here and I got a bunch of people that are like, listen, AJ, you don't know anything about you doing, but you got a red beard and I love red beards. So I'm going to give you a hundred thousand. Bob's going to give you a hundred thousand. We're all going to give you a hundred thousand, but because you don't know what you want to do, we just want to be a partnership, a regular yeah. partnership ownership for the investor, what are the pros and cons to taking them like that? Or what are the pros and cons to taking them as, no, I'm the general partner, which makes decisions, yeah. your limited partner's um, structure? Okay. So what happens in that case is now you've got different uh, levels of the membership, or you're trying to determine whether you're going to have different levels of membership. See, typically the way you do it when you're doing a syndication is and I'm only talking about a limited liability company. I love LLCs. They're the easiest things to design and, yes. and, and structure. So what, what happens is you will decide, okay, I'm the syndicator. I want total control. Uh, I'm not putting in a dime, but I'm going to keep 25% of the, of the interest in the property. And so therefore, I'm going to create a class of membership in the operating agreement called Class A Members. And defined in that class A is everything that I just said. I'm in charge. You can't vote me out. I run the whole show and I get 25% and, you know, uh, any other forms of compensation. And then along comes, uh, you know, your $100,000 investors and they say, okay, we're, you know, we're not going to have a say, but we want to invest in it. We want to get a return. So we create another category called class B investors. And those people are not, they give, they're given some voting rights but typically, whatever it is that they require to be voted on requires a super majority. So, you know, depending upon how much you own, you may always be able to out, outvote the, the super majority and you're always going to be in control. So that's one way. That's typically how a syndication deal is structured, where the syndicator runs the whole show. Now, what you're saying is you've got these guys coming in and they want to have a say. Okay, your question would be, well, how much of a say do you want to give a guy? I mean, if you bring three guys in for a hundred thousand, one guy comes in for fifty, are we going to do it you know, on a pro rate basis, or does each guy get a vote? And you know, now instead of having a an LLC with a class A and class B, we'll get rid of the B. Now all of us are in the same category, and now we all get to vote on on how we run the company. So that's the beautiful thing about an LLC is we can structure it any way you want and we can make it happen. And it's really nice. I, I, I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. So once again, it gets back to, I, I like to boil it down to the simple. What is the flavor of your investor's money? Yeah. Everything oh, it's so true. Me, yeah. 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 It really is. Because, so, and two, I think that it, it's important to know that on these deal structures and anything, you can, there's more than one ways to obviously skin a cat. But, um, especially for new people getting started, you got to be careful that you don't end up, end up getting uh, skinned. This is not a department that you skimp on. This is not no. a department that you say, I'm going to figure it out. This is going to yeah. cost yeah. you money. You have yeah. to set it up right. And yeah. don't go to your, you know, don't go to some attorney that's like, ah, I can do this for cheap. That's oh not God. what you want to do here. This is, this has very large repercussions. And these contracts too, like when you're looking at operating agreements and everything, and you can back me up with this, I, I don't call them operating agreements. They're disagreements because you only use them when you're all disagreeing. And uh, it's, that's when all these things really, really come to light and all the problems hit the fan. 
Yeah, absolutely. Prepare for the divorce before you get married. Exactly. And And when your partners or limited partners or an SEC involved, it gets, yeah, you got to be careful. It's so ugly. Yes. The SEC, my biggest fear is that these gurus out there that are doing this capital raising stuff, if the SEC wanted to, and they tried with me and they couldn't do it, but they would come in and they would seize all the properties. That's how the SEC works. They'll they'll seize all the properties and they'll ask questions later. And that's what happens. That's the type of power that they have. Yeah. And I've seen so it happen in other businesses. Said, the oil business is a perfect exactly. one. They'll seize the assets so the cash can't comes up. The company goes yep. bankrupt. They were profitable, but they weren't allowed to receive capital from it. They weren't allowed to do anything. They seized the funds. Creditors pulled, and it was all over. And it happened right. within and the, 30 and days. And the SEC, SEC walks away like, well, we told you. We told you. Business. Exactly. And we exactly. told you it was a bad business. Uh-huh. Exactly. So, and let me just tell you, for the listeners out there that are thinking about doing this, like you said, you don't cut corners. You're using other people's money. Don't cut corners. Do it the right way. It, it, in America, money is the ultimate thing. And listen, you want to go to prison, you don't need to do something horrific. You don't need to, you know, murder or rape or anything else like that. You just got to use funds the wrong way. So yeah. and it's not like I'm yeah. scaring people at all. That's not what I'm trying no. to do. But yeah. you, I, when people underestimate the repercussions, that should also be a sign for you as an investor putting capital. If exactly. they take it lightly and don't think it matters anything, that's a huge red light flashing yeah. saying, run away. Exactly. Uh, perfect. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And I've seen it happen so many times and I can call it. I can call it now uh, by the stage of the game. So yeah, you just, you got to do these things right. And and so basically, like you said, I'm not trying to scare you. Neither yeah, one, no, we're not trying to no. scare anybody. We're just trying to show you the tale of the two investors. You can do it this way and, you know, and build it slowly and steady, or you can scale it as fast as you can because you, you built a, a phenomenal infrastructure and all your infrastructure needs is more money to grow even, even bigger. Then you can take it to syndication route, but understand, you know, Hey, I'm just going to borrow the down payment. Well, guess what? You you might have oversaddled your entity with too much debt, and you're going to lose your property over here. Yeah, I did it all wrong. I cut corners, and and I and I and I I know the SEC is looking over my shoulder. And guess what? I got the letter. I got the letter from the SEC. Well, in uh, a perfect example of what you just described is when I look at my path along this way and everything. When I started, the reason I didn't start with investors was because I didn't think I knew what I was talking about well enough to represent and take their money in a way that may not get me into trouble. And I was just had a real honest conversation with myself. Like, I'm just now getting started in this business. I don't know what to tell them about returns. And I don't know what the future may And And I started realizing if I don't have really good answers to those questions, for me personally, I didn't feel comfortable taking their money because I didn't want to get in trouble. Now, now though, I grew. And as I grew, I'm like, okay, now, no, I know this better than most people. And, you know, we're the top 1% of owners in the world. Um, you know, my, my book on the asset class is coming out in the next uh, two weeks. And so I, I feel way more comfortable that I can say, I can communicate the downside risks as well as the upsides in a, in a manner that me and my investors can be okay with each other. This is me though. This is not everybody. I know lots of people that they should start out syndicating. They need capital. It's a great investment. But two, also one of the reasons I chose not to, a lot of people had no idea anything about storage. And that was scary for me. 
It was scary okay. that they didn't understand the asset at all. And they may have yeah. preconceived notions and I didn't want them to come back after me. But like, for example, multifamily housing, this is, you know, we're all, the, most people are aware of that asset class. Okay. Well, hold on. No, let me, that, that's, you just raised another great issue. Yours are two issues in this, this conversation of, of conversations I had with my, my clients and students this morning. And one of them is, is understanding multifamily. And, uh, you know, the, the, there is a disconnect and new investors who are thinking about going down this route need to understand this. You've been studying multifamily. You've been studying self-storage. You've been sitting in on those coaching calls. You've been, you know, on the membership site, watching all the videos. Your investors haven't. They haven't. And, don't know. and now you're sitting in front of your investors and now you're saying to your investors, hey, this deal that I got is a winner and you should put your money in it because this, these are the types of returns you're going to get on this particular deal. And your investors are sitting there thinking to yourself, well, what am I investing my money in? Well, multifamily. Well, why is multifamily a good investment? And what, you know, how can I determine if this really is? See, they haven't, you're missing that middle step where you have to explain to them why multifamily, why self-storage. You've got to bring them from zero to a hundred and you've got to take them every step of the way along the way. And that's the step that most of these, most syndicators miss is like, you got to educate them on, on multifamily. Now, the other thing too, and this is, you know, because this is all part of building the business. Not only are you looking for deals, you're also looking for money. You're always talking to investors. But you've got to, what we were very successful in doing when we were raising, raising dough was always kept the investors knowledgeable about what we were doing. Every time we made an offer, we sent it out in our database. Hey, we made an offer on this, on this uh, 200 unit property. Hey, uh, our offer got rejected. We were too low. For six months, they knew every step that we were making. So when we finally got that first deal under contract, and it was a good one, it took us nine days to close on the money because that we had primed the pump for these people. It, yeah, so. it's um, this is an important process too that I like to think about for us in our organization. Even if we don't have investors, we have to sit down and vet, communicate the property, the pros, the cons. We need to be able to do it in a way that I can describe it to anybody because that shows that we understand the deal. And yeah, two, yeah. we got to be upfront. We got to be upfront with ourselves. And we don't, you know, even when we don't have investors about the downsides and the risks. And when you have investors, a lot of times salespeople, particularly, they don't like to communicate the downside because they're scared, but that's not how you do it with investors. You want to yeah. be able to say after the fact, you were fully aware, we went through this property, you knew this could all go to hell in a handbasket and yeah. you could lose everything. Yep. Yeah. And yep. it, it, that needs to be communicated and recorded that you communicated those kind of things to them. You know, one of my students uh, went and spoke to a potential investor and this guy and my students knew at it. And he's, uh, he's a very sophisticated businessman and it's a $10 million deal. And he already owns, uh, you know, about a million dollars of property. This is going to be a huge leap. And this is one that he's got to syndicate. So this is a guy who's kind of like you, AJ, where he started off, you know, building it on his own. And now he's going out there to, uh, you know, to raise money, pr private money. And he took it to one guy and it was this, uh, the, one of the, a very smart businessmen took it to the, this one guy and said, hey, would you like to invest in my deal? This guy ripped his deal apart, started asking him really tough questions, and he didn't know the answers. And he comes back to me. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I just got to hand it to me. I said, that is fantastic. Good. I said, in the future. You want to take all your deals to that guy first. I said, I had the exact same type of guy. We would bring our deal to that guy first and he would 
tear it apart. So every other you know investors uh, sales call we did. It was easy because we knew all the tough questions. We knew that our deal could, could hold muster. And that's how you need to do these things. But, you know, it's just like, you know, being a new insurance agent. You got to sit in front of, and, and train in front of your manager. And that's that's what this guy did. So, yeah. Exactly. No, this, I, I mean, I, I've i taken so much of your time. This has just been amazing, though. Thank you for this discussion. I hope that people understand. And, and I know a lot of people, too, though, when they're looking at uh, a lot of the side, they want just a clear cut. No, tell me how I should do it. That's not how this works, first of all. Yeah. So no, no, you no. need to have a good understanding, and you need to understand what your investors want, what you're trying to get. And then you need to get the right help to put the deal together. Um, so, and, you know, but before we get off... Obviously, people have a lot of questions and everything. How can people get a hold of you? Where can they contact you? Sure. Go to my website, uh, multifamilyinvestingacademy.com. Uh, and, you know, they get one of the pop-ups. Always sign up. You get all my stuff. I got, you know, I don't, over 50 podcasts. I have so much free content on there. I do a Saturday morning vlog, which everybody loves. Uh, my assistant cuts that, splices and dices it and gets it out uh, every Saturday morning. I have so much free content. I try to do a book report, like at least once a quarter, where I where I actually dig down deep. We did uh, uh, big shifts ahead uh, last time, and I think you can find that on my website as well. Uh, that's a phenomenal book, and you got to read it. Um, and uh, actually, the, the next one we're going to do is in a couple of weeks on uh, racism and housing. All right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, uh, that topic absolutely fascinates me. I'm, I'm a, yeah. After being sued by the SEC, uh, I hate the government, and and to see what role they have played in uh, using using uh, you know keeping the minorities down by using housing yes. is repulsive, absolutely repulsive. So uh, we're going to talk about that. So, but That's listen, awesome. just sign up and, and follow me. I'm. I'm, uh, you know, on social media, and 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 if you're looking to buy property, apartment buildings, I'm the only guy you want to be dealing with, <laughs> and uh, it's really, I'm, I'm, I tell it like it is, and I'm the first guy to tell you, don't do that deal, you know, let's find a good one. So, but That's it's awesome. a lot of fun. I love, I love my business. I love my students. I, I now tell you something, AJ. I never felt this way when I was in the insurance business. Yeah, no, it's different now. I get up and I, I go running to work every every day because yeah. I'm having a blast. It's no, a blast. It's so true. And you know, it's we can get on this and we can talk about deals. We can help each other out. Things like this. Yeah. This is the, in in a lot of industries. That is something you would never do. Never. Like, ever. No, exactly. Exactly. Just just think about it. the beautiful thing about the the real estate business is you're not you got to be nice to everybody, everybody all the time because because. They could invest in your deal next time. They could buy your property. They could sell you a property. They could partner with you. Everybody in this business. I I work with, um, actually, the office I have up in Nashville, New Hampshire. My landlord is one of the biggest real estate developers in New Hampshire. All real estate developers in New Hampshire are friends with each other. Yeah. They all they all own a piece of each other's deal. It's, yep. it's fascinating to me. Yeah. No other business is like that. No. No other. Well, and two, like I say for, you know, in our industry and in self-storage and my, I have a podcast that's purely dedicated to that because it's such a niche industry, but we talk about, I'm like, listen, I want everybody to do as best, like I want everybody to be so successful because in, in our industry, the rising tide lifts all ships. So if you don't know what you're doing and you go in and build and you fail, well, that means you hurt every operator in that yeah. area. So yeah. nobody wants you to fail. 
Because yeah. that means it's not like, oh, you fell and somehow I do better. No, that means you yeah. have vacant rooms on the market and you're dropping prices. Nobody wins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, and I can tell you, typically in a situation like that, it all started at the very beginning. The property was purchased the wrong way. And that's what killed the deal. So, hey, yeah. thank you so much. This has been awesome. Hey. We'll we'll have you on again. I mean, there's yeah, a few people fun. that I'm like, you know, I get. I'll, I'm going to make a list of questions tonight as I'm lying in bed, and then I'm like, we got to get him back <laughs> on. So, but thank so you. What you we'll, do? You got you're going to lie in bed thinking about the tall, dark, and handsome guy. Well, exactly. <laughs> oh, awesome. Well, thank you so oh, much man. for your time. We'll talk soon. My pleasure. Thanks, AJ. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at Cashflow with the number 2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.